Welcome to episode 175 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, and you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are, of course, broadcasting here. Uh, well, for us, it's live. For you, it's recorded. But uh, we are broadcasting live from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor. And uh, as you know, we are sponsored by Deadly Grounds Coffee. And as such, we are part of the Dorkening Network. And uh, today I am flying uh, kind of solo because Ashes is under the weather, so you will not get to see the real housewife of Transylvania, the mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of wine, and the queen of the monsters until later on in the episode. Uh, we're going to be recording this a couple days apart, so hopefully she feels a little better and she can uh, come in and contribute towards the end. However, I am joined by... A very special guest that we promised last week. Uh, she is uh, not only an actor, but she is an all-around badass. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's Constance Payne. Constance, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. Recovering from a little bit of a fight scene yesterday, but I'm all good. You know, nothing a bunch of Epsom salts and massages from my lovely man babe can't fix. There you go. That always works. <laughs> so you, uh, you've been in quite a few films and you've also got uh when i say you're uh, an all-around badass um you know you've got some experience with these fight scenes because you uh you are a strawweight fighter are you not yes yes i'm actually uh now more flyweight but when i was competing i was strawweight nice and uh now, you are a, a, a jack of many trades, or a Jill of many trades. I don't know if that <laughs> makes a difference. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I don't care. But, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm pretty, uh, I'm, I'm manly a bit. You know, I used to manage a construction company, so I know how to build things. I've worked at a lot of different jobs in my life. I've also worked in publishing, which is, you know, complete opposite from construction. I used to own an auto glass company and do a lot of insurance work. So that's really where I made most of my money was in those three industries. Yeah, so you like I said, you you you've got a bunch of different skills. Like you do stunts, you do camera work, you know, you act, and uh... I do costuming too. I can make some badass costumes on a very super low budget. Nice, and I see you've also got a, a book, a game of mind that you've done. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and I'm gonna be working on that. I've been kind of slowly putting some chapters out online. I'm going to hit that again hard in uh, 2020. It's just every time I sit down to go and write, then I book another role, which is great. So I'm not complaining. I booked my 20th role just yesterday for 2019. So it's been a great year. For the folks at home, because I've looked into your, your IMDb page, and I've seen some of the stuff you're in, and certainly one of the films is definitely right up my alley for folks who have uh, – who have listened to the show and who know me in real life, but uh, tell folks where they may have seen you before in some of the TV and film roles that you've had. Well, my first breakout role, um, I got it without auditioning, and it was a recurring role. It was called Icons of Horror 2 uh, by my buddy Trent Duncan, and he's the one that really gave me my shot because I didn't, you know, I, I knew it was an awesome project when when I signed on for it. He takes comic book heroes and uh, horror characters and he'll have them mash up into fight scenes and creates a storyline. So my first uh, role that I ever got was recurring in his series and then he took it and made it into a feature. And it's got over like a million views online right now. Yeah. And there so is if a, you go, I was gonna say, oh, go ahead. There are some uh, interesting 
parts about this. I mean, you've got, you know, the Punisher versus Darkman, Michael versus Candyman. Like, there's some interesting, uh, interesting mashups in this. Yeah, it was super fun to do. Uh, one, one story I have, when I was fighting uh, the zombie, this uh, big old zombie guy, and I had to learn the choreography literally 20 minutes before I shot the scene. And it wasn't super complicated choreography, but it was very hands-on, and we were filming in like 100-degree weather in the Florida sun outside. So, yeah, it was a bit foggy in my head, and I didn't duck uh, when I was supposed to duck on one of them. So even being hit by this guy with a zombie hand, which is like kind of like a lazy throw anyways, totally rang my bell. And after getting slammed up against that canister probably 20 times, the very next day my body was so swollen, I just passed out on my friend's couch for an entire day. Uh, but it was fun. I don't, you know, like that's part of it when you do these fight scenes. It's you're going to be sore. Somebody's going to accidentally miss a move. You might, I mean, I just got kicked in the face on last Monday uh, during another hardcore fight scene, which is some of the most complicated choreography I've done to date. Uh, I was more concerned about my makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true badass. <laughs> yeah. She felt so bad, too. I was like, girl, it's okay. Like, Come on, come at me, bro. Now, as a, a trained uh, fighter, have you ever had issues where, um, you know, it, you've found it hard kind of to adjust to doing fake fighting? Uh, we had um, someone on the show a while back, uh, director Karando Mitsutaki, and he was promoting his film Karate Kill, where the the lead actor in that was such a highly skilled martial artist that... Uh, during his fight scenes, he couldn't do the fake fighting thing, so he was just telling everyone, come at me and try to hit me. And they're like, well, what happens if we hit you? Well, they never found out because no one ever laid a hand on him, but he couldn't <laughs> get the timing down with fake fighting because he had never done it. Have you ever had, uh, or at least when you started, did you have uh, similar uh, issues with that? Um, I still run into certain type of issues. Like they'll want you to to swing funny. And honestly, what I've learned, if I just swing the way that I'm personally trained to and they adjust the camera angles and I'm working with somebody who's used to like, you know, hand, like hands and feet flying at them, it looks great. It, it still looks great. They, I call I call it theater punching with a lot of traditional fight choreography. But then when you look at films like John Wick, they don't do theater punches there. You know, it, it's very straightforward hand-to-hand -hand combat, and they've learned to adjust the camera angles for that. So that's really more or less my style of choreography that I design for films now, and that's what I like to do. Like, um, I guess a good way to explain theater punching is back in the day, like the first Batman TV show, when they're like, bam, whop, and it just looks awful. <laughs> it just looks awful. So I, I definitely like to work with people that have a certain amount of training under their belt because it, it makes the fight look better uh, because why wouldn't I just be beating the crap out of you if you're throwing a punch like my six-year-old niece? Uh, so it doesn't make sense in a storyline. So there, there's a lot of elements involved in it, and I've learned to find a good crew of people, uh, fighting people, stunt people, and camera people, DOPs, that are on my level and working to progress the fighting industry in that manner. Yeah, because, I mean, I've 
I've got a little bit of training from doing uh, kung fu and watching some of these old fight scenes where a guy is just throwing this huge hay, like reaching back and then throwing this huge haymaker. Like, yeah, like, nobody oh. does that in real life. It looks awful. It's like you get punched 25 <laughs> times before you even got the swing around. Oh, yeah, man. it's like if it's a comedy, I could see throwing some punches like that or if it works with the character. Like, does the character know how to fight or are they a trained fighter? Because I can fight like I don't know how to fight. I can fight like maybe I have a little bit of skill and then I can fight like you know, like an expert that I am, you know, it's just, it just depends. Like, I don't care if I get my ass kicked in a film, um, what the storyline is. I just like being a part of the industry. So, I mean, I get killed all the time. Uh, (laughs) So some actors, they, they always just want to be the hero and and they want to live and they want to be the aggressor and the winner. And, you know, like good for you. But I, I just think from a career standpoint, it you're just going to last a lot longer when you're pretty much down for anything. Yeah. I mean, look at look at Sean Bean. I mean, this guy, you know, he's been in a ton of stuff and he's been essentially like a lead actor, but he always gets killed at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I had seen that meme running around and it's like, yeah, but he he's in it to, to win it or lose it, whatever, you know, however, it's it's always a win when you book a role, whether you die in it or, or whatever. Right. I mean, you know, look at his character, uh, Ned Stark, you know, from Game of Thrones. I mean, people were talking about him throughout the entire series, you know, and he only <laughs> lasted the one season. Um, <laughs> right. So we're going to do a quick little getting into character segment. Uh, You and I talked about that a little bit uh, off air before we, uh, you know, before we started recording. So I'm going to give you three questions because we've already uh, got some got some good content already. Um, So are you ready for your getting into character questions? Shoot me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you've done a ton of different films. You've been a part of a lot of different films. like standalone franchises, is there a uh, specific actor that you would like to have a fight scene with? Um, Charlize Theron. After Atomic Blonde, I was like, ah, I've loved her since Monster. I mean, I've loved her since before then, but that movie Monster just showing, you know, uh, like, because I'm a method actor too, and her gaining that weight and being able, you know, to portray that type of person was amazing to me and you know right after that she ran off that weight in six months because she's extremely motivated and then you know she's went into john uh not john wick uh she went into the atomic blonde and did so much jujitsu and i i love that martial art that's probably my favorite martial art and uh so i would love to be in a fight scene with her 150 million percent that's awesome now, is there a a franchise that you would want to be a part of? Like that would be my next question. That you would. It doesn't even have to be like you were saying. It doesn't have to be a recurring role. It doesn't have to be. You could go in and do something crazy, and then you know die on screen. Like you know, would it be like a, a Fast and the Furious? You do some crazy car stunt and you explode in a blaze of glory. <laughs> is there a, a, a franchise that's near and dear to your heart that you would want to be a part of? Well, funny you say that because there are two franchises that I've been auditioning for heavily that have a lot of interest in me that I can't name because that's part of the NDAs you sign. So uh, we'll see what 2020 brings on that one. All right. So we'll uh, we'll leave that one as a mystery. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
So, you know, you've had a hard day. You've you've been, you know, beat up by zombies or, you know, you've just had a run in with the triads. The, the filming is over for the day and you're going to go home. How do you like to relax? Like, what's the what's the routine that you you take? Um, first, a boiling hot bath. I can't like that's the only that's the way I recover. A lot of people are like, no, you got to do an ice bath. That does not work for me. It is like my sciatic is, um, you know, it gets tweaked up, and a lot of these, you know, you get slammed on the ground fifty times. You get thrown over your head. Yeah, you know, it's just it's insane. Uh, the amount of work that that was involved, and even just the smallest little scenes. So I like to boil my body, get me a glass of wine, a stiff cocktail, whatever, <laughs> whatever I can. Uh, and my my uh, my husband will you know give me a massage, and we just watch movies or just chill out and snuggle our dog. That's that's about it. Nice. Now, is there a specific? Uh, this is kind of an addendum to that question, but is there a specific drink that you know this is your go-to? Um, a vodka, anything fruity vodka beverage. I don't do shots anymore. That that was uh, spent all in my early twenties, so I definitely got to dumb my drinks down a little bit with some juices. But yeah, just a fruity cocktail of some kind. I like to make it myself because I like to make them a little stronger. Mm. You know. Yeah, I'm the same way. So, well, that's that's uh, that's pretty much the um, getting into character segment. So obviously you survived no problem, but I didn't have any more that you like. <laughs> You didn't ask me my favorite sandwich, though. <laughs> no, I know. I've asked that one a few times, but I mean, I was I was actually like prepared for you to be like, oh yeah, I come home, I take a huge bath, I eat a monstrous meal to replenish all my calories. Oh no, I'd probably vomit if I scarfed down. But I eat a lot of little meals throughout the day, and I'm actually right now uh, right now working on cutting some weight for uh, a fairly big role that I have coming up. That's a fight scene. I'm going to be in full prosthetic makeup and, and hair, and it's going to be pretty crazy. I'm basically going to be topless, so I want to look as good as I can and have all my muscles popping. So I've just been on a different type of diet, hitting the gym at 5.30 in the morning, going back at 2 p.m., and if I train somebody else uh, on that day, I'm at the gym a third time. So I do that about five days a week. And, you know, that that makes sense for someone in in, uh, in your position where you're – you have to you have to be maintaining a specific weight and and a specific look that you know corresponds with the character that you'll be portraying. So yeah, that's that's how I like to do things because I mean some actors aren't like that. They're like, oh, I'm not going to change my look and my body type for a role. And I mean, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, I don't like it when people kind of lurk down on me because I do a method actor because I think there's a lot of uh, mis misunderstanding about what that actually means uh, people you hear a lot of weird stories throughout the industry and I haven't worked with anybody that does method that's you know weird or insane it's just more about like a state of mind and developing the back end of your character uh, and having that full understanding like I'll look into psychology like, like I said my the weight how I want to look that each character that I develop for whoever's project, or if it's my project, uh, is completely unique. Which, you know, I appreciate, because there are a lot of folks that are out there that, you know, you see them as, uh, you know, they're considered to be excellent actors, or they're really good. I don't want to name names, because I don't want to get into anything. And <laughs> But, I mean, they're, you know, for every, you know, 
Tom Hanks, you know, who, yeah, he basically looks the same for every single role he's in, but he brings something vastly different to each one of these characters. You know, there's somebody I don't want to mention, but this is an <laughs> Oscar nom- uh, Oscar-winning actor who is just like, it's like, oh, yeah, which movie are you watching? If you saw a clip of this person, you couldn't tell which movie it was because they play essentially the same character in everything. Like, oh, yeah, same action. voice tones, everything. And I, one thing, when I, I've been coaching uh, friend actors of mine, because some actors, they don't like any constructive criticism. They can't handle it. And me, I'm like, give me the constructive criticism. How can I do this better? You know, am I not hitting your vision or anything like that? And when I'm coaching uh, new actors and stuff for, for the projects I'm in or to help them out with their auditions, I just break it down. It's like every scene has a heartbeat. And you have to hit certain levels and, you know, you're spiking at some points and then you're bringing it down and you're creating that momentum. You spike it again, maybe get a half bump. Like, so once you understand that, I think a lot of actors that really need more voice coaching uh, and is, is really what I see in the industry here around Atlanta anyways. I mean that's that's fair. I can I can understand that. Like I said, you know, there are a few people that come to mind, one in particular, but um yeah, I can I can understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and like reading. Like nobody people like face reading Facebook doesn't count as reading. Like no. read a novel, read some books under real good books anyways. Uh there's a lot of crap out there. Yes. <laughs> um but that helps you kind of understand characters and it always helps people with writing to um to actually read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I agree because you know, I've got, you know, a, a a story that's I, I've got a couple of stories coming out in anthologies this year, and I've got something else that may or may not be happening, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to jinx anything. But um, right. you know, you know, obviously I don't have the the resume that you have, but I still approach things the same way. Like if I'm going to write something, I want to write the best thing that I can write. You know, so you know, I, it's that line from uh, I think it's Dead Poets Society. It's like a man is not very tired he is exhausted you know he is not very sad he is morose like if you can read and if you come across a word you don't know look it up up. (laughs) look it up i mean everything the the everything is at your fingertips now uh especially like the way that youtube has developed over the last 15 years and uh, you know and keep going man like it does it one thing that i hate when people tell me about um their ideas is they're like oh well what if i do all this work and and it's for nothing or it gets rejected i'm like well then you do something else and you do it again or you tweak it and make it better you you constructively criticize yourself or have people that are educated give you some pointers you know and you just keep going because i would not have the resume that i have today if i just quit after the first project that blew up in my face 15 years ago it wouldn't be you know i would not be where i'm at at all exactly like you don't you know it's not like you know, I joke about my wife and I are going back to the gym, and you know, I go and it's like, oh, I've been, go- I went to the gym three times this week, and I'm not down to my goal weight. This is stupid. I'm not going back. Like, yeah, like you can't not, do not that. <laughs> you have to put sustained time and effort, and that's exactly, I think, what you're saying here. You know, even if you, yes, like I've, I've had a ton of stuff get rejected over the years, and it's like, okay, well, why did it get rejected? Well. Because, you know, I didn't use these good, you know, these words that, 
you know, this isn't a good word, you know, this should be done differently. And how can I describe this? You know, and like what you're saying, it goes into the same thing when you're acting, like getting into the head of your character really shows that you are understanding and you can, you know, become that person because you don't have to worry about what it's like, well, I wouldn't do this in this situation. Right. But you're not you. You're, you know, yeah, you're this other, you're this fictional character, and it's supposed to be fun. Like, I mean, one of my favorite, I'm one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. You know, I'm always willing to help anybody. Uh, I'm really into empowering women specifically, but, you know, I'm not sexist in any manner. I'll always help anybody. Uh, but most of the characters I play are really mean. I'm apparently really good at yelling at people telling them what to do, kicking their ass, and screaming at children. <laughs> so, All but that's skills. not me. <laughs> right. I mean, I was going to say, you've been, you know, the interactions that you and I have had uh, online, you have been nothing but an absolute delight. So, you know, I very much appreciate it. I mean, like, you're on the show with me right now, so... Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. You know, we're we're all in this together. And when I when I come across people who are all about themselves and not team players, I you know, good luck to you with that. And and those are the people that I I see are consistently running into roadblocks with their own careers, and it creates this bitterness, and that doesn't have to exist if you just pull your head out of your ass. Exactly. I look at it as a rising tide lifts all boats. Like if you're there for someone through their successes and, you know, you're there to help them through, you know, any setbacks that they might have, you know, hopefully they'll reciprocate the favor. But like that's not what you're doing it for. You're doing it because you want to see people succeed. You know, it's almost like you're living through them, you know, vicariously. It's like, well, I'm you know, I have a lot of writer friends, you know, and I'm writing. So how can you help me get me get better? You know, and but... yeah, because it's not a competition. It's not like, oh my gosh, this person's a writer too. Enemy? No, like there that's dumb. That's so dumb. Like, there's tons of stuff. So, all right, uh, that was a an awesome opening segment. So I think what we'll do, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to be discussing because this show drops on Halloween, and we're in the middle of our slasher series. We're going to be discussing. Michael Audrey Myers. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip, and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Saturday, November 9th at 6 p.m. at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, Massachusetts. It's the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Halloween may be over, but we live the horror life all year long. BMG Events, in cooperation with It Came From The 508 Productions, is bringing you this unique event featuring filmmakers, actors, vendors, podcasters, and more. 
including the world premiere of the second film in the Ties That Bind series, The Box. Tickets are $10 and available at the door or through the event page. Follow BMG Events. It came from the 508 and Throwdown Thursday podcast on Facebook for all the latest updates. The Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. Missing out would be a grave mistake. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma. Hi, my name is Grando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that was the original uh, 1978 Halloween theme by John Carpenter. So uh, hopefully you recognize that. But uh, if not, if you are unfamiliar with the character, you've come to the right place. Because uh, with the help of uh, Constance Payne, we are going to uh, enlighten you on who Michael Myers is and why pretty much everybody knows who he is. And... Uh, why people think he looks like Mariah Carey. So, I think... <laughs> have you seen that meme? I did. I saw it. It was so spot on. It was so spot on. It's the way they shave... Someone's savage right there. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you, you kind of... You know, I noticed this years ago by the uh, former Knicks and Lakers coach and uh, Miami Heat president Pat Riley looks an awful lot like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> so, true doppelgangers yeah so I want to start by saying that Michael Myers uh, is kind of credited for or, or the Halloween series I should say is kind of credited for sort of kick starting the 80s slasher uh, craze even though technically it started in the 70s but it's close enough um, this is a film where you know, they came up with a really great idea. And because there are so many sequels and, you know, it's the old saying, too many cooks spoil the broth because, you know, as we've discussed on a couple of our other shows, like with Ghostface and Wes Craven or with Victor Crowley in Hatchet and, and Adam Green taking over that uh, the writing and directing and Kane Hodder being the only actor to play Victor Crowley. 
with Halloween, there are so many different directors. There are so many different actors who have played. They refer to him as the shape. Uh, <laughs> it's so difficult to keep a consistent performance. And you get the trajectory of the series that you get. So it starts off, you know, in uh, six-year-old Michael Myers, for some reason, on Halloween night, brutally murders his his sister Judith. And his parents come home. He's wearing his clown costume. He's covered in blood. And he's holding a knife over his head, and they take his little clown mask off. It's like a domino mask, similar to, like, what uh, Robin wears. Uh, and they take the mask off him, and he's just got this blank, lifeless stare to him. And, like, the way Deborah Hill and John Carpenter explained it is he's essentially the living personification of evil. Now, Constance, you are a big horror fan. Um, what was your first impression when you saw this movie and you saw um, Michael Myers go on his rampage of destruction? Uh, I mean, I was a kid at the time, so I was terrified. Uh, I definitely, I think it's different watching a movie as a kid versus as an adult. And it's been a while since I've seen, um, you know, the very first, you know, few movies. Mm -hmm. But uh, I know I was definitely frightened and I I felt it, The you know, the little psycho. (laughs) It was like, why? (laughs) And I think that's. The, the you just sort of hit the the nail on the head you know with the the why like why is he doing this now again if you ask John Carpenter and Deborah Hill it's because he's evil he's just evil he's a bad guy you know he gets out of his uh, after 15 years you know he's he's 21 years old he gets out of the uh, asylum that he's been trapped in you know not trapped but incarcerated and goes back to his hometown and decides that he is going to just start a rampage because he seems fixated on Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode. Why? Well, no one's really sure. So the issue is... (laughs) The motive. Like, there's got to be, you know, you can't just... There's every psycho has some type of motive. It comes from, you know, like a horrible childhood, seeing, you know, a murder as a, as a child and then, you know, emulating that or becoming fixated on that. So that yeah, you're right. That was never actually identified. Right. And so, you know, he's going through and he's performing these superhuman feats of strength and durability. Um and some of the supernatural stuff actually uh, expands to his doctor, Dr. Sam Loomis, who, if you listen to the Norman Bates episode, I theorized uh, could be the exact same Sam Loomis from Psycho who dealt with Norman Bates. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's the same name. I just like throwing that out there because I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, because towards the end of the film, when he finally, he's been warning everyone about you know, Michael's out, he's going to kill, he, he's a bad guy, he's just evil. You know, he spent eight years trying to reach him and seven years trying to keep him locked up because he was just scary and had no Yeah, like what, what he did is say, fuck it, pump him full of steroids and say, let's see what happens. Is that, like, is that what he did? <laughs> it, it's, it's almost like um, I compare him to, like, a shark or a bear or some other just single-minded, like, 
instinctual creature that just needs to eat and feed and will do whatever it needs to do in order to attain those goals. And for Michael, it was stabbing Jamie Lee Curtis. And anyone that got in his way. (laughs) To the point where he would put on disguises and pretend to be like when he put on the ghost sheet after he pinned the the guy to the, the wall, which is a point of contention for a lot of people because he just took a regular kitchen knife it was able to put it through a human sternum and pin the guy to the wall, and there was still like four inches of that blade sticking out. So <laughs> right. I'm a little dubious on that. That's the biggest knife on the planet. I want to use that to cut my vegetables. That's like the best knife ever. Like, forget about the Ginsu commercial. Oh, it can cut a can? Yeah, well, it can impale a teenager and hang them on the pantry door. <laughs> he didn't get that from Costco, that's for sure. Absolutely not. That was not a, a Kmart blue light special. Just showing my age right there. Um, But, you know, we eventually see him, you know, uh, attack Laurie. She stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. She jabs a hanger in his eye. And then Loomis ends up coming in, shoots him seven times with a revolver. That's where the supernatural part comes in. And knocks him off a balcony, but he disappears. And no one knows where he is. And Loomis just like, he's gone. The evil is gone. It's like... Yeah, what did you yeah, expect? It's a it would have been movie. cool to explain it of some kind. Like, he had tactical training, so he was wearing a vest, which still, you know, up so much shit. So. <laughs> and then they, they, they kind of expand upon it a little more in the second movie, but this movie is no longer directed by John Carpenter. It's still written and uh, written by Carpenter and Deborah Hill, but it's now directed by Rick Rosenthal. And they say, well... Guess what? It turns out, funny story, that's Michael Myers' sister, Lori. That's why he's trying to kill her. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But he still manages, again, to defy uh, all logic and you know, basic human anatomy and physiology by being repeatedly shot, stabbed. Um, there's a scene at the beginning where he's in the hospital trying to kill Laurie because movies at this time had a, a, a penchant for picking up the sequels picked up exactly where the first one like to the point where they would show the end of the first one Rocky did this and Rocky 2 did the same thing and you kind of saw the aftermath of the first movie at the first act of the second movie and so he goes through and he finds this nurse and he boils her in a I don't know it looks like a like a, a like a jacuzzi treatment type tub, and he like boils her alive, but like his hands are perfectly fine. <laughs> right, never needs any medical attention in any of the films ever. <laughs> and then, so they still haven't they've they've talked about his motivation at this point, but they still haven't talked about why he is the way he is. And then we get Halloween three, season of the witch, with Tom Atkins, who is a horror legend. But this one really doesn't have anything to do with the Michael Myers mythology. Because I guess at this point, they kind of wanted to make it into almost like a series of anthology films where each one is its standalone uh, entity. However, they do have a commercial for the movie for Halloween. So in this reality, it's a sequel, but the character from the first two movies and subsequent, I don't know what, like eight movies exists as 
a fictional character, even though it takes place in the same... Yeah, don't try to think about it too much, because it'll hurt your brain. <laughs> so skipping over that one, we go to number four, and we uh, we are introduced to Danielle Harris, and she seems to have some sort of weird psychic connection to Michael, despite having never met her. Now, they killed Jamie Lee Curtis's character off-screen, because Jamie Lee, you know, Presumably, is like I'm starting to become a big star, and I don't need this anymore. I, um, I was in True Lies. I don't know if you saw that, but I was with Arnold. So, uh, yeah, she's like, uh, bye. <laughs> so, you know, she's she's been in a lot of big movies. You know, Trading Places. You know, and, and so she doesn't need the Halloween franchise anymore. And but that gives us little Jamie Myers. And she seems to have some weird psychic connection that they really don't get into until the next movie. Because the uh, at the end of this one, somehow, because uh, Michael gets shot like a million times at the end of this one, again, trying to kill her, goes through everybody, uh, you know, police, you know, this militia that forms because they're... Uh, Sam Loomis, who is now all burnt up because at the end of uh, Halloween 2, he blew up half the hospital in an attempt to sacrifice himself and kill Michael, which went poorly. So now he's all burned up. And... <coughs> excuse me. We we see that there's this weird connection where, like, Little little Jamie is is seeing Michael in her room, having visions of him grabbing her and pulling her under the bed, even though she's never met him, doesn't know anything about him. But it turns out she's supposed to be the daughter of Laurie Strode, who died in a car accident the same way Michael and Laurie's parents died. So that was their their solution to getting rid of Jamie Lee and not having to explain that she didn't want to come back. Right. <laughs> Got to drag it on somehow. Right. And what's the best way? There's a kid. So they kept the <laughs> whole Michael wants to kill his family thing. And they ended up uh, at the end of the movie, like he gets shot like a hundred million times and he falls into a like they're at a, a, a cemetery and he falls into this huge like sinkhole. Then all the stuff falls on top of him, and Loomis is like, yeah, that's good enough. No need to check the body. He's probably dead. Yeah, no need to shoot him in the head or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, despite everything he's seen at this point, like, the guy's been shot, like, 40 times prior to this movie. He's been exploded. He's been stabbed. Like, at the end of the second one, Laurie literally shoots him in both eyes, which was, first of all, amazing accuracy for someone who's never used a gun under duress. <laughs> Somehow shoots him in both. <coughs> oh Jesus! I'm still not over my sickness from last week. Shoots him in the eyes with both hands. I mean, uh, shoots him in both eyes. I mean, she did use both hands, so she was at least. <laughs> and he was still coming at her. Like, your eyes aren't stopping a bullet. Those bullets are going straight into your brain. So if you're able to function at that point, there's pretty much nothing short of dismemberment that's going to stop this guy. And I don't even know if that's going to do it. So, as he's laying on the ground after being shot by all these hillbillies in this, uh, you know, Illinois town, and police, and Loomis, and a babysitter, Jamie goes over and touches his hand. And they use that to explain the fact that, you know, they again, this the fifth one picks up right after 
the fourth one ends. So we see Michael falling into the, getting shot, falling into the sinkhole, having them throw dynamite down this time. But he manages to escape, drag himself out of the cave into a river and let the river just carry him down to this guy's shack. And he tries strangling the guy, but he's, at this point, clearly had so much damage that he's not even able to do that, and he just collapses. And the old man's like, oh, poor guy, let me take your mask off, hang it up, let me help you out here. And, of course, he helps the old man out by murdering him once he's regained full strength. And we see him in the cave, and he's putting his mask on. But as he's doing that, we see this psychic connection really intensify with uh, Jamie. Because she is putting on the mask and doing, you know, miming all the motions that he's doing. Now, the big thing at the end of the fourth one is we see Jamie, who, you know, in a a super subtle clue as to what's going to happen, she's wearing the exact same clown costume that Michael was wearing in the first one. Stabs her mother to death with a pair of scissors, just like Michael did. So she gets institutionalized, and then we are introduced to the man in black. We don't know who he is, we don't know what's going on, but we just keep seeing shadows and stuff everywhere. And we eventually find out that uh, Michael is part of the Cult of Thorns. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. A thorn is like some kind of demon, but it also represents a... uh, (coughs) A, um, a constellation, and we learn all about this in the sixth movie with the cinematic debut of Paul Rudd. Now, Constance, are you familiar with any of these like later sequels? No, not really. All right, they kind of lost me after like the second or third one. Yeah, it just it gets ridiculous. Still a fan. I mean, still a fan of him being an icon in horror, but <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets insane. Like it. <sighs> Like there, it's heavily implied that Michael impregnates Jamie, and then she has a baby, but she's able to escape with the help of Loomis and uh, and uh, Paul Rudd, who ends up being Tommy Doyle from the first movie, who was one of the kids that Laurie was babysitting. It's they they do a really weird job of trying to like explain where Michael gets his supernatural powers from, and again they try to kill him more and more, and then. Halloween H2O comes out in 1998, and they somehow are able to wrangle Jamie Lee back because she didn't really die in a car accident. It was all just a... uh, Ploy to get away. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she wanted to get away from her kid or or something. But she has another kid, and that's Josh Hartnett. So, I mean, she's just... So, the sequels get more and more ridiculous as you go from there. To the point where, like, Buster Rhymes is doing kung fu and kicks... Uh, kicks Michael's ass after uh, taking a high-voltage wire and jamming it into his junk. Uh, That's absolutely what happened, and saying, trick-or-treat, motherfucker. Because, you know, that's always worked before, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not a a movie unless you get hood in it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, why, why didn't anyone else ever just try, like, karate kicking him in the face? Like, that's, like, his only weakness. (laughs) <laughs> so then Rob Zombie came out with his retelling because it, it got ridiculous Like it's like they were trying to they dug themselves in a hole with this uh, Michael Myers mythology 
And then they were like, well, I know how to get out of this. Get me a bigger shovel. And they just made it <laughs> way worse. So Rob Zombie tried rebooting it and really got into who Michael was as a kid. You know, we see him torturing animals and, like, you know, we see him brutally beat a bully to death. Um, we see all kinds of crazy stuff that he does. And we see, like, oh, well, he had a hard home life. That explains why he's an unsympathetic, nonstop murder machine. And we see him, you know, even the people that are nice to him and treat him with respect at the uh, at the institution uh, in the form of Danny Trejo gets brutally murdered. <clears throat> so Rob Zombie tries to tell this story, and it's the exact same story. Michael's coming after his sister, who was a baby at the time when he got incarcerated. We still don't know why specifically Michael's after her, but then the second movie, which... Now don't get me wrong, I love Rob Zombie movies, and <clears throat> I'm usually up for them. But some of the stuff, if something doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. Call it for what it is. And that's where you lose me in a film. I, I start yelling at the TV. <laughs> so we see Michael is having hallucinations of his mother in the second film. But, like, at the end of the first one, he kills Sam Loomis, who is actually played by uh, Malcolm McDowell this time. Because by this time, um, Donald Pleasance had actually passed away. And at the end of the film, Michael drove both of his thumbs into Malcolm McDowell's eyes. But in the next film, he's perfectly fine. Like, no ocular damage, like, not even an eye patch or contacts. <laughs> so, like, that inconsistency, you kind of lost me right there. It's like, I saw blood squirting out of your fucking eye holes. Like, Yeah, there's no coming back from that. <laughs> right. Like, there's no prosthetic for that. Like, but whatever, fine. He's healed. This is a magic universe where science and physics don't matter. Fine. But he starts seeing, like, his mother and, you know, uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, who's, who killed herself in, in the first film after, you know, realizing what a monster her son had become. And somehow his sister, who was a baby at the time, is also seeing these same visions, but I, I, I don't. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, did you see the re-release, the 2018 release that came out last year? I did not. Okay. I'm I, I'm a bad bad girl. <laughs> it's okay. It's it's not for everybody. Uh, basically, because like I said, they have such a hard time trying to establish this mythology and really do any. <clears throat> solid explanation as to who Michael is and what he's motivated by and where he gets his prodigious strength and invulnerability from. Uh, it takes place 40 years later. Halloween 3 through Resurrection and the Rob Zombie sequels uh, never happen. So it's just one, two, and then this one. And to make sure no one was confused by it, they called it Halloween. <laughs> so we see essentially Lori has become Sarah Connor from Terminator 2 like she is out at her gun range on her private property like shooting hundreds of rounds from multiple uh, 
firearms every single day. She is keeping herself in, like, super kick-ass uh, condition. Uh, she's got some money. You know, and she ends up doing a... She does an interview with a true crime podcast, which, I mean, fine. Uh, and they end up getting killed because they have Michael's original mask, and they go to the the uh, asylum and taunt him, and you know, which obviously goes well because it's a horror. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> and uh, so he gets his mask back, and he's now he can teleport in addition to being you know unstoppable. Because he goes and he gets his mask, he puts his mask back on. There's a couple times where you almost see his face. And the one thing I will say about this sequel that I really, really appreciated is the consistency. Like Nick Castle, who was the original Michael Myers, The Shape, in 1978, reprises his role. You know, you have the same Jamie Lee Curtis, you have the same Michael Myers, so it's very, very uh, uh, poetic. But again, they don't give you a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of background or why he was doing what he was doing and why all of a sudden, 40 years later, he's, you know, because he's been telling, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has been telling everybody that Michael's going to come back someday and they have to be ready. Like, why don't you have a gun? Why is your house so easy to break into? That's what she told her her daughter and son-in-law. Like, how'd you get in here? She's like, oh, it was super easy. I just kicked the door down. You don't have any security. Why didn't anyone shoot me when I came in? You guys <laughs> And her daughter's played by Judy Greer, which I appreciate because I think she's a fine actress. Um, the whole thing is a setup for her to lure Michael back into the house. So Michael tries to kill her, and she ends up killing him. But does she? Because there are now two more sequels that have been announced. So, <coughs> Constance, in in your uh, opinion, where would you put Michael Myers on, you know, your... It doesn't have to be exact. Like, where would you put him on your, your ranking of horror movie villains, you know, for... Uh, I mean, he's an OG, so definitely top ten. But, I mean, as of being, like, one of my personal favorites, I, you know, like, one being the highest and ten being the lowest, I'd probably put him at, like, a seven or an eight. Right. See, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Like, you have to give him the respect because he is a character that has endured oh, yeah. and has really, you know, there's a lot of movies about him and a lot of people have tried to tell his story and many have failed. Yeah, but he did pave the way for horror today. So, like, props to that. And without him, we wouldn't have Jamie Lee Curtis as an icon of horror as she is. So, <clears throat> with that being said, where would you where would you rank Jamie Lee on your on your uh, list of? I don't want to say final girls, but like <clears throat> recurring horror protagonists. Um, I love Jamie Lee Curtis just because she's she's not like traditionally beautiful. She, she's an amazing actress, and that's what makes her hot. Uh, so I'm gonna probably have to put her at my at probably like my my two or three. Okay, and uh, I do want to. I get what you're saying about her not being like traditionally beautiful, but I would uh, like to point out. Uh, 14-year-old me uh, has has entered the room and wants to point out 
uh, the topless scene in Trading Places. Yeah, her, her amazing body. Like, she is amazing body. <laughs> when she does that strip scene in uh, True Lies, yep. I was like, damn, girl. And she's rocking that short haircut, mm-hmm. but still, like, you know, the mom look and everything. So, yeah, like, that that's what 14-year-old me wanted to point out. I was like, well, time, time, hold on. <laughs> She has a nice rack. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I had seen um, Trading Places like probably 40 times before I finally bought the movie. So I'd only ever seen it on TV. And I was watching it. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is a good movie to throw on. So I threw it on. And the first time I saw her topless, I was like, holy shit, why have I not seen this my entire life? <laughs> you saw it edited for TV, and then you're like, sha-wing! I'm like, yeah, I will never watch this on TV again. <laughs> <laughs> so glad I own this. Yeah, but we had, we had talked a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago about her, her pedigree as, you know, her mom, Janet Lee, was uh, murdered in Psycho, you know, in one of the most famous scenes in all of cinematic history so I thought that was uh, a a, it's a nice transition going from you know her mom being in one of the original slasher films because I consider Psycho to be one of the original slasher films oh totally (coughs) excuse me to you know her being in you know the thing like again again, I said you know kind of kicked off this whole supernatural unstoppable killer phase you know because it started with michael then you saw jason then you saw freddie so there was a lot of these uh you know and she was kind of the uh the linchpin that kind of kicked everything off so i think that was a really good conversation um i know i did a lot of the talking because i was talking a lot about the uh the uh, sequels and stuff and you're not overly familiar with the sequels which again is fine uh i've only seen them because when uh a friend of mine and his uh, now wife were first dating. Like, she wasn't really into horror movies, but she wanted to be. So we would go to Blockbuster and we would rent a bunch of movies. And one weekend it was, you know, the Evil Dead series. Another weekend it was Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> so we uh, we powered through all of these. And even at that point, in my early 20s, I was like, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but... Yeah, they kind of lost me after the second or third one. And that's, I mean, not that I wasn't a fan ever again or anything. I just wasn't, like, going. I mean, I probably should do one of those weekends and uh, watch them all. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm lucky. I um, I have a lot of these on VHS, and I love running my old VCR. And <laughs> it's a fun story. I think we told it, like, a year ago, uh, but we were at a, a horror convention out this way. And if you ever get a chance to go to this, uh, I one million percent recommend going. It's called Rock and Shock. It's usually the second weekend in October every year. And uh, last year, uh, Malcolm McDowell was there, and we attended his panel. And he talked about how, despite being in a Halloween film, he had never seen the original. So I brought him in the VHS copy that I had. I had an extra one. I gave it to him. That's awesome. And he did a little interview with us. He 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 talked with us for about two or three minutes. We asked him like, "What was his favorite on-screen monster of all time?" And he said it was either King Kong or Godzilla. So like, <laughs> that was super cool. <laughs> That's pretty rad. So um, 
I know we went uh, a little over, and I know you've been very cool about that, but uh, tell folks where they can uh, find you, where they can uh, find some of your work, and uh, how they can support some of the projects that you're doing. Okay. Well, the best way to like consistently see all my updates about my work would be Facebook. So follow me on Facebook. I can't accept everybody's friend request. So at least hit the follow button. I'm not trying to be a jerk about that, but there is only a 5,000 person limit. And I try to keep that to like fr- close friends, family, and you know, all my industry peeps. But that's where I'm always posting about my bookings. And as things are rolling through the editing phases, I'll post links to where you can see them there or if you can see them on Netflix, Amazon Prime. I do have a feature coming out January 1st that's going to be on Prime. I can't say the title now until they release it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't kill anybody in that. But I, I kind of play a like a crabby kind of a bitch so it was a fun role and that was part of a five-part book series written by an amazing young woman who is only 30 years old like props to that goddess uh it's more of like a a drama type film a little romantic but uh more drama and but yeah facebook i do have an instagram you follow me at, at Constance Payne on Instagram. I don't post as much on there as I do on Facebook. I don't really keep up with IMBD. A lot of people give me crap about that because I've got way more credits um, on that are out and everything that aren't attached because I don't have an IMBD profile. But I might get around to that this next coming year as more of my stuff starts rolling out because you know you get in some of these projects and it could be up to a year before they're edited and out there. And I've got to sign NDAs for pretty much all of them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was, I was looking up your uh, your IMDb page, and, like, your name comes up, like, three times. It's almost like you have three separate profiles because, like, some of the stuff is on one and other stuff is on a different one. You've done a lot of stuff. And um, one thing I, I would, if if you really want folks to be able to follow you a little more, and I learned about this last year create a fan page for yourself where folks can follow your stuff on facebook yeah it's so hard to keep up with all of that it's so hard i hope one day like i can get a manager too and like um be able to go into that more but i have considered it i've tried i put up a one here and there and i just didn't get as much of a following as I do on my regular Facebook page, mm-hmm. so I just kind of stuck to that. Yeah, no, but then you hit the the five thousand mark, and then you know you're 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 kind of stuck, and it's like, oh man, like you know, I really want to interact with folks because we we found out about that because we were we were nominated for an award last year, actually, no, earlier this year. Uh, I, I mentioned this to you, and they were like, oh, we were trying to tag you and stuff, and and you know, have you be a part of uh you know some panels but you don't have a facebook page so or a facebook group so we couldn't do it so it's like well i know what i'll be doing when i get home today <laughs> right right and it's just easier you can post some of that stuff that you don't want to talk about you know like separate personal from professional like i know you're super busy i'm i'm not telling you what to do because obviously you're very successful with what you're doing i'm just saying it might be easier i don't know if you have uh youngins but you know maybe have your your youngins take care of uh, 
you know, putting your... Oh, my youngin' has four paws, <laughs> but oh. she wears a dress because <laughs> she's a fucking lady. There you go. <laughs> um, but I want to I wanna thank you for uh, for joining me. Um, this is a really cool conversation. It was, it's been cool getting to, like, react and, and talk with you, like, even, you know, just online here and there, and uh, it's always awesome hearing someone else's perspective on you know the on the industry and like their experiences and you know it's part of the reason why i've been trying to promote my my women in horror articles because i feel like there's not enough representation of women in horror and i know a a few ladies who have had some pretty shitty experiences um you know one way or another either you know people just assuming they can't do something or you know it's like well yeah yeah i'm the one who does this it's like oh well i'm gonna talk to your husband about it instead oh story of my life don't even get me started on that nothing will piss me off more than somebody talking to my husband about like my career or showing him respect and then they don't even say anything to me and I don't know why people do that. I have no idea, but it happens all the time. And then they want something from me, and they think that he's the one that's going to make me do it. Like, he doesn't make me do anything, and he doesn't allow me to do anything. Like, we talk about all of this stuff Mm -hmm. together. My husband is my best friend. So it's kind of funny when, you know, people might talk some shit to him thinking that, we're not both laughing about it or both getting pissed off about it and kind of, you know, dropping them from the friends list. Yeah, see, that to me, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I've never gotten to the point, especially, like, with the horror community, and a, a few a few ladies that uh, have done my, my articles have brought this up. It's like, women invented horror. Like, Frankenstein? That was Mary Shelley. Like, that's the OG <laughs> yeah. story. Like, so to to try and sit there and be like, oh, women can't do this, and women can't, it's like, go fuck yourselves. Like, yeah, like, go fuck yourselves. Like, men die in horror, women die in horror. Like, I don't think, when I see some of the films that have all-male casts, I don't have a, anything to particularly, uh, any any movie to name in particular, but, you know, when I see predominantly male casts, it's like, that's not very interesting. Like, you have to have a variety of people, and I'd like to see the industry change in a way where when roles are literally written for older women, that older women get those roles. Uh, I see that all the time, a lot of miscasting. They're casting young, younger women to play women in their 40s and 50s when that role was made for a woman in her 40s and 50s like just cast them right it's like you think jamie lee curtis or sigourney weaver or linda hamilton can't pull off like this same role like why would you yeah, need to cast someone stupid. else like the the double standard especially when it comes to uh you know appearance you know it's like Oh, look at her. She's got gray hair. She's getting old. Ooh, his gray hair makes him look distinguished. It's like, fuck I hate that. I hate that. And it comes down to, too, um, like with Bruce Willis and his ex, Demi, you know, when she started dating Ashton Kutcher, who is only, like, what, 10, maybe 15 years younger than her, the world went crazy. Oh, my gosh, she's a cougar. But then Bruce Willis marries and has a baby with a woman who he's like 25 is junior. 
and he's a boss, and that's rad. And so I, I don't get it, and I hope that's something that's going to change, which is, you know, another reason that I, you know, promote my relationship as often as I do on online because I don't want to work for somebody if they think that they can just fuck me, you know, like, I don't want to work with you. Like, I want to work with you because I like to make films and I like to be characters. I like to bring life to those characters. And if you want to cast me just be because you think you can get in my pants, well, you're really fucking stupid. Yeah, see, that's the other shit that drives me out of my mind. It's like, oh, well, how do you think she got that role? It's like, because she's fucking talented. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's a, a whole. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the novel series of Silence of the Lambs that Thomas Harris wrote, but like, there's that whole like, you know, they they talk a lot about um, Clarice Starling and how like, you know, you know, as you saw it played by Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, you know, very pretty, very you know, vibrant young woman, but like, never has a relationship and like. You know, there's even a plot line in the second one where they're trying to discredit her by like, they're like, well, we, you know, just go the usual route and say she got the job, you know, on her back, but no one would believe it because that's not the type of character she is. And like Thomas Harris actually wrote her really well. Like she's not this damsel in distress. She's not this, you know. Yeah, she's an independent, strong woman. She's super and... badass. You know, she might start off as kind of meek, but, you know, that's just because... But she will throw down, yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, she doesn't need anybody to save her, per se. Like, she she can do it on her own. Yeah, and it couldn't be all that hard work and effort she did to get to that career point in her life. It's got to be something else. Right. And that's that always frustrates me as well. So, yeah, I'm sure... Oh, oh I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I totally forgot... To plug my movie, Sadie. Sadie's coming out October 30th on Amazon Prime. So it so as of the time that this you're listening to this, it's on there now. It dropped yesterday. So finish up your, yeah. your last-minute horror stuff by checking out Sadie. Yep. That was a fun one. <laughs> that was fun. But, I mean, it's a heavy story and everything, but, uh, you know, just... It takes a lot. It takes the right team to be able to produce something like that. And everybody was really conscious of like my nude scenes. Nobody made me feel uncomfortable when I was doing that film at all. Uh, after I, I was after we wrapped on that, I, <laughs> I actually had to be wrapped in a tarp and put in the director's the bed of the director's truck because they didn't want any blood in the interior. So that was a fun ride. <laughs> it's a fun ride. Oh man! At least it was like the bed of a truck, and not like you know. Uh, all I have is my '96 Tercel. I got to throw you in the trunk. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be funny. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me, and we'll definitely have to have you on again, especially you know when you have uh, more stuff to promote, uh, especially next year. Um, and, yeah, but I could talk about it more. <laughs> yes. Because um, that's one of the things that we are all about on the show is helping promote, like you were saying, like, you know, we're all helping each other out here. So, and uh, anything you want to help promote, just, you know, shoot me a message and uh, we'll post it in all the different groups. 
And if you're looking to do other interviews, I'm sure uh, I know a few folks who would love to have you on their show. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, and like, I mean, this is what I do. I love to talk about it. Uh, any interview I do is always different. Yeah, you know, everybody always asks different questions. I always get reminded of different types of stories on on set. Sometimes I might be, not be able to say specifically what set it was on, but I can still throw in some uh, some back end information or some funny stories. So, absolutely. Again, thank you for joining me and. Uh... We look forward to seeing Sadie, and we look forward to all the other stuff that you're going to be doing. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll be right back. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Whiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it, and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's Whiz Kid, Richie the Whiz Kid. And I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast? Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly review show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Holy sidetracking, guys! The train just came off the tracks! Derailers! Be sure to follow The Derailers on Twitter, at The Derailers! And make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on YouTube, so you can catch the episode next week, folks! Same derailment time, same derailment channel! I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. And we're back. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that uh, that discussion. I thought it went really well. I had a good time with it. And um, unfortunately, because of uh, injuries and uh, illnesses, uh, Ashes is unable to join today. Uh, we're kind of hoping that if we waited a couple of days, her voice would come back, and unfortunately it is not. So I'm going to be closing out the episode solo, and uh, I want to make a couple of announcements before we get into battle results. Uh, first off, uh, as of this recording, which is uh, actually, uh, if you're listening to this on Halloween or you're listening to this on Thursday when it drops, uh, well, that's the same day either way, but if you're listening to this the day it drops, uh, yesterday on October 30th, uh, you could watch Sadie that we talked about if you, uh, if you caught the end of the interview there, uh, starring Constance. So definitely check out Sadie on Amazon Prime. Also, uh, I'm very proud to announce that uh, a short story that I wrote called The Shed and a short story written by our good friend Steve Van Sampson called, uh, oh man, uh, 
Uh, growing just beneath. Yes, yes. I kept thinking like gathers or something. I knew that wasn't right. Yeah. Uh, both of those stories appear in an anthology called More Lore from the Mythos. It's a, a collection of stories of the Lovecraftian horror nature. And it is live uh, pretty much wherever you can get ebooks. Um, it's it's going on Amazon on for Kindle for ninety nine cents. So uh, we're both really excited to have stories in this. Uh, I know I am especially because it's been a long, 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 long time since I've had a story published in an anthology, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So if you can help me out, help us out, help out all the other authors. There's fourteen total stories. So Steve and I are just one of 14. Uh, we're each one of 14. Uh, so do us a favor, check out the stories, and uh, support us. It's awesome. Um, I picked up a copy, obviously, um, not just to uh, support myself, but to check out some of these other stories that are in there. And they look really cool. I love Lovecrafty and horror stuff. So I wanted to announce that. Um, next week... Um, we are going to be joined by Corey from uh, from the Canopy uh, podcast, where uh, we just did a guest spot recently. We are going to be jo- uh, joined by him next week because we're going to be discussing uh, Harriet Tubman. So we're finally going to get into our um, our historical figures, and we're going to be talking about some uh, depictions of her in uh, popular culture. And uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about the movie uh, Harriet. You know, and we're going to be talking about her contributions to uh, society and uh, her impact on the U.S. Civil War. So stay tuned for that because that's going to be a really awesome episode. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but we do have some battle results for you. Um, we had the uh, the battle it was um, it was um, uh, the brilliantly titled "Can You Dig It?" Hotter Hoedown, or uh, I think I also said uh, "Hot or Not," um, but I think the Hotter Hoedown is a little bit better. It was uh, Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th versus Victor Crowley from the Hatchet series. And uh, it was overwhelming. Uh, everybody voted for Jason. I voted for Victor Crowley personally because I think he was a little more unstoppable. But as uh, our good buddy James Lamont pointed out, uh, Voorhees wins because uh, he can't... Because um, uh, Victor Crowley can't leave... Honey Island, but I was like, well, you know, let's just say for this for this instance, he can. But uh, I personally think Victor Crowley would have won. Uh, I know Ash has voted for Jason, and pretty much everybody else voted for Jason. Like I think uh, he got seventy five percent of the votes on Twitter, and uh, it was fourteen to four on Facebook. So, I mean, I'm fine with that. I mean, either either way you go, you can't really lose because it's a cane hotter serial slasher versus a cane hotter serial slasher uh both very sympathetic figures and obviously you you know our feelings on each of these characters if you listen to the episodes that we did over the past few weeks for part of our slasher series let's see what else we got going on uh this weekend um we are going to be uh well i am going to be at rhode island comic-con uh we were only able to secure one pass so um only i will be going because it's uh, a little bit expensive. Plus, both of us are still uh, pretty sick. So I think that's what... Uh, 
Uh, a little bit of rest is just what the doctor ordered. So, But we're going to get down there. I'm going to get down there, and I'm going to try and get some interviews and talk to some folks and, you know, mingle, talk to some people. Uh, I'm kind of kind of interested. I want to I want to go meet uh, Matches Malone and uh, <clears throat> talk to some folks that are that are going to be attending. You know, the, the usual stuff we do for conventions. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be, like I said, we're going to have uh, Corey on to talk uh, Harriet Tubman. But next weekend, we're going to be at the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. And uh, that's going to be at 6 p.m. at Platinum City Gaming in uh, Taunton, Taunton, Massachusetts. If you're around, you're able to make it, come down, come see us. Uh, it's being put on by BMG Events, hosted by uh, BMG, and it came from the 508. Obviously, you heard the ad earlier in the show. And, uh, you know, uh, our good buddy from last week, Alex DiVincenzo, is going to be there. So definitely come down, check it out. It's 10 bucks a person, and there's going to be a ton of vendors. There's a whole bunch of movies and trailers, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely recommend checking it out, not just because we're going to be there podcasting live, but because, you know, it's great to support people, you know, especially independent creators who may not have the reach of, say, a Kevin Smith or, you know, folks like that. Uh, also, <clears throat> uh, I know I missed a week, but I was back this week with uh, Shark Bites talking about uh, handicapped access at concert venues because we ran into a little bit of a problem with that uh, last weekend. Uh, and it was very frustrating and upsetting and, like, going back and thinking about it. Uh, there was, you know, really very little that could have been done uh, at the time. But there's obviously things that could be done in the future to make this a little bit better for folks with disabilities. So check that out. Um, and speaking of James Lamond, and it came from the 508 Studios, James is going to be joining me on next week's episode. We're going to be discussing the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival. So if you're still not 100% sure as to where you stand on that, uh Tune into Shark Bites. We're going to be talking about that, as well as uh, the second film in the Ties That Bind series, The Box, which is going to be making its film festival premiere at Dead of Autumn. So check that out. Um, you get a lot of good information. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, definitely just uh, hang with us. We've uh, we're, we're got some really good stuff coming up. And uh, just wait a couple more weeks. We've got some uh, some great stuff. We're going to be covering the Disney Plus stuff going to be talking about that you know obviously the mandalorian we have a big star wars event that we're going to be doing coming up so uh if you're interested in that let me know if you're a big star wars fan and you want to join in and participate let me know because uh we're looking to book several uh like episodic series of this for this uh big star wars event we have in november and december so hit us up throwdownthursdaypodcast.com has all of our social media you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, yeah, we're all over the place. <clears throat> so we're going to leave you today with, uh, because it's a Halloween show and we do love our uh, Ice Nine Kills music, we're going to leave you with the Ice Nine Kills song uh, all about Halloween, Stabbing in the Dark off the Silver Scream record. And we will see you next Thursday. Calculated silence
Captivated by the violence I replay Fifteen years ago today Oh, an evil evolution Will bring a feeble institution to its knees Oh, doctor, can't you see That when the hands of fate run 